Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I am thrilled you are here today because it is my pod anniversary, my one year anniversary of having this podcast. It's hard to believe we are on episode 52. When I look back at this last year, it's been in so many ways the most amazing year, the most difficult year, and the most fulfilling year I've had. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. We definitely turned things upside down. And there's no other person that I would have wanted to do this with than Patrick Dancy, who just was so amazing. And I'm so grateful for him. So as you're listening to this episode, I have a few questions I want you to think about. The first one is, are you doing what lights your soul on fire? Second question is, if not, why not? And the third question is, is when is there ever going to be a better time? And if you're sitting there saying, Natalie, I know I'm meant for more. I just don't know how to figure out what it is. Email me at natalie at corecreationcoaching.com and let's set up a free complimentary breakthrough coaching session for you. I would love to support you and helping you get the clarity and the confidence to take that next step for yourself. So hopefully we'll get to have a conversation soon because I know that you've committed to making 2021 your best year yet. So let's dive into the episode and have some fun. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another week of Lead Your Life. We got a special host today. Yep, he's actually speaking. He was actually the very first guest on Lead Your Life. His name is Patrick Nancy. Why am I talking about myself in the third party? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hey, Natalie. Hey, Patrick. I'm so glad we're doing this today. This is so much fun. Yes, congratulations on one year. Amazing. Thank you. And here you are leading your life. I love it. Well, you know what? I thought it would be I thought it would be fun to do a reverse interview. I love that. Let's do you, it. You were my first official guest on the podcast and one of my actually my highest downloaded podcast throughout the entire year. And just everyone oh, loved our awesome. everyone Thank loved our interview. It was so powerful. If you haven't listened to it, it's episode 2. And I just thought it'd be fun. You know, everyone loves your energy. And I just thought it would be fun to just come back, have you on. And yeah, and let's touch base and let's yeah. catch up. I think it's going to be very exciting for some or for most because, like you said, um, typically when you're leading this, you know, you're finding about, out about other people. You're, you're learning about them. You're learning about what inspires them and what drives them. We all get to now learn what inspires you, what drives you. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, you know, people, serving people, but let's really get into the 
you know, the details. Let's look at, you know, why you're here and you're blossoming. Let's right? do it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. So right. I think a lot of people want to know out there. I mean, especially, I mean, this is fifth, week 52, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you don't really go into your side, which makes it, what makes it fair. So you give a nice platform, but tell me where were you born? Where are you from? Who were you born to? What's going on? All right. So yeah, we'll start at the beginning. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Garden Grove, which is a pretty small city in Orange County. Um, I grew up with, you know, in a pretty blue collar family. My dad was an electrical engineer. My mom stayed at home. So, you know, it, for all intents and purposes, it was kind of like a beaver cleaver family, you know, just dad was literally at home every night by 5.30 and my mom had curlers in her hair and <laughs> like dinner on the table. Yeah. And um, when we all know, ate was, together, we all ate together. Yeah. Actually, I carried that tradition on in my family with my kids. So yeah. So about, I don't know, I think I'll, I was probably around 12 or so. I grew up with a brother. My brother and I were super close. He's three years younger than me. Oh, so he's younger. So you were, you mm -hmm. were the first child. Wow. I was the oldest. Okay. Yep. And, you know, I grew up in a time where it just parents were the authority. You obeyed your parents. I was the good girl. I got good grades in school. I followed the rules. You know, I was the good kid up until high school. I had some fun in high school, but, <laughs> you know, I still I still got good grades. I still. Um, like now, were you quiet? Were you outgoing? Like who was like who was this? this person that we all get to enjoy, like, where did you find your voice? Was it young? Did you, did you no. have a sense? No. no, no, I would say not that I didn't find my voice when I was young, but I would say I was, I would say I was kind of in between. I was always nice to the new people that came to school. And I was always the person that would, you know, introduce the new kid in class to other kids. And, but I would say I wasn't, super, super outgoing. Got it. But I also wasn't introverted. So I've always been and still am the kind of person who when I go to a party, instead of talking to all 50 people at the party, I'll find two and I'll talk to them the whole night. So I get it. I get I've just it. always been more of kind of an inter intimate extrovert. Um, I, get so, it. I like that intimate extrovert. Yeah. And I, but I do love connecting with people and friends are super important to me. I met my very best friend in fourth grade in elementary school and we're still best friends. Amazing. So wow. I know. Shout out to Denise. So, um, Denise, yeah. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> we, we call each, we call each other girly, but she, now, do you um, still see her? You still yeah. See her? Yep, oh, okay. Yep, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We still see each other and, um, still good friends. But yeah, that was me, you know, kind of grew up just in a very um, humble upbringing. Um, the thing no. was, is, and this actually, I'll talk about it later, too, is my dad, when I was maybe around 12 or so, decided to leave his corporate job because he um, didn't want to report to the big man anymore. And so he left his, you know, corporate cushy paycheck um, which wasn't that cushy, but it was still a paycheck and benefits and all that good stuff um, to go out on his own as an entrepreneur. And Ooh, some parallels, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, More shot. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, yeah, it's been a lot of mindset work for me because my dad went out on his own and my dad was a phenomenal engineer. 
But my dad wasn't a salesperson. And so our family really struggled at that point. Um, Like, I remember my mom sitting at the dinner table crying when she was paying bills um, for the for the month, you know, because she didn't know how it was going to happen. And you remember that how that made you feel? What was that like? Did you yeah, feel a burden? Was, uh, yeah, I felt the stress of it. I felt. I remember feeling that like that as a kid as well in a similar yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, I just I felt like the burden of it. Like I wish my mom didn't have to go through that. And um, I just remember feeling like I needed to do something to help. So. I, I, I love what you just said. I, I think at times, you know, you've heard people say before, Natalie, we've heard, oh, well, you know, they had to grow up quickly and it's true i think in moments like that we if you will we lose the skin of being a child yeah absolutely there's a moment where we assess like you said you saw your mother stressed and you felt her burden and you were in that moment i think no longer thinking as if you were thinking how do i participate and contribute right yeah so did you i did absolutely um i actually I mean, part of it was because I had to, but secondly, because if I wanted, you know, I wanted a phone in my room, which everyone else had, but it was $10 a month or whatever it was yeah. to have an extra phone line in your room. All waiting um, was an additional five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So if I wanted those type of things, I was going to have to pay for them on my own. I mean, so, you know, it was made very clear to me early on that if I wanted a car, if I wanted car insurance, if I wanted a phone, if I wanted anything extra to go to the movies or uh, all of that stuff was considered extra. And I was going to have to contribute to that. And not just a portion, like I bought my own first car. I paid all my first, I paid my car insurance since I've been driving. And so I started working when I was 13. And actually, this was a pivotal moment. Is what, um, what was the job? What was? What oh, well, I started. Do? I started mowing lawns. Oh, and you were so an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was. So I started mowing lawns for a couple neighbors, and then I heard that you could make more money um, throwing papers. So I became really? the paper, paper girl. Route. I did. I was the only girl on I the route. It. And I remember going to, you know, you we would they drop the papers off at one kid's house. We would all go there to fold the papers, put them in our bags. And I remember being there the first day, and it was all little, you know, it was all boys who were thirteen, my age, right? Who's and this all, girl? Yeah, they were looking at me like, "What are you?" I mean, literally, they said to me, "What are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I have my paper route, and I'm here to fold my papers." I love it. And. They're like, well, girls shouldn't be paper girl. You know, there's not paper girls. It's only paper boys. And it was like then that just like lit this spark in me of like, well, (laughs) you think you can do it? I can maybe do it better. Yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And so I tried so hard after I filled my bags up to put them on my handlebars. (sighs) And my bike was wobbly. And I was off balance and I was frustrated because it took so long and none of the guys helped me because of course I was going to do it by myself and you know they were laughing and giggling at me and I couldn't do it and I remember I walking my bike home just in full tears telling my mom I quit I I can't do this I quit and my mom said you are not quitting you're not going to let those boys have the last word you get back you get back on your bike 
<laughs> and you you go throw your papers. And I struggled and I struggled that day, but I did it. And every day after that, I did it. And I ended up making the most tips because I would porch the papers and for the, oh, you know, awesome. for the, for the old people that couldn't come out, like I would hand deliver them. And, and so I made really good money at my first job. And that was the start basically of my career. And, and the final points of being a, a young lady, I mean, Boys don't think about those details. They're not going to walk into the porch. Ah, here it is. Oh, well, it was, in the, it was in the lawn. It was in someone else's lawn last week. You missed the front door. You threw it in the garbage. So the young lady's going to bring it up. And so, yeah, I get it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So what did they say? Did you ever get any, any jests from the boys when you were winning? Because you were yeah. winning. Well, I was. And, you know, it's funny. I earned their respect, which was a really interesting lesson for me early on. Um, I had, I think, 10 other jobs before I went to college. I worked in a variety of restaurants and I worked at Taco Bell. And I mean, I worked in so many different places, but probably the best job I had in high school was I worked at Disneyland. So I worked at Disneyland for five years. Um, I worked in outdoor vending. And so I sold popcorn and churros and balloons. I was the girl standing there with the balloons. Oh, amazing. At the the gate. Let me ask you. So. I mean, you talk about these jobs. You had these 10 jobs between that age until you went to college. What drove you? What then was driving you? What was it that, you know, most people, oh, they're going to have their summers. You didn't have a summer off. I never had. I've never had a summer off since I was 13 to this day. And I'm 50. (laughs) So, so again, it it begs the question, like, what was it that drove you? Was it the satisfaction of earning your own, aside from, you know, whatever financial burden you felt there was or there was, did you feel like you appreciated it? I'm sure, right? I did. I, you know what? I appreciated the fact that it wasn't so much the money or the accumulation of money or what money could buy. Mm. It was independence. It was this independence that I could do what I wanted to do. And I've always been very independent and I grew up, you know, I love my mom and dad especially my mom has been such a huge influence on my life. And Mm. um, she really has definitely just influenced who I am as a woman. My mom was a very strong woman, a very, you know, very much a feminist. And however, she was also very controlling. And so I loved the independence that money brought me. Because I could could do what I wanted to do, right? (laughs) And there was, I imagine... Because I remember when I got my first job and I was able to go in, there is a, a sense of dignity that you get from earning your own and how you value it. You didn't value when your mom bought you the shoes because you didn't buy them. Exactly. You valued those shoes when you bought them. Exactly. Big difference. It's a huge difference. And I took care of my first car differently than my friends who got their first car given to them, you know? I mean, I babied that car. I hand washed that car. I mean, I took, you know, my dad taught me how to change the oil and change a tire and all of that. Amazing. So, I love it. I love that. You know, That's great. That, so you, you would change yeah. oil. Pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, my dad taught me a lot in terms of, you know, just doing stuff around the house and fixing things. And I still fix things all around the house. So um, I learned a lot from my dad in, in that regard. Yeah. And then I went to... Um, I went to USC um, for my undergrad. I was the first in my family to go to college. Wow. Um, so that was a big accomplishment. My mom was so proud of me and just 
um, you know, she just always wanted the best for for me and my brother and education was really important to her. And so, yeah, so I went I went to USC. It was a very interesting experience going to USC. It was not a good fit for me, which is why I what, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I I came from, like I said, a very humble, humble. upbringing yeah. and um, truly valued, you know, what a dollar could or couldn't buy. And here I was like, you know, dumped, you know, I mean, I pulled up in a Jeep with like four bins in the back of my dad's Jeep and, you know, mom, mom and dad helped me move into my dorm room. And, you know, the girl whose name was on the side of the building, like her limo driver was helping her move into the, and it was just, you know, like when you're in the kind of environment that I was in growing up, like you don't know any different. And then all of a sudden I was, I was in this different fishbowl that was completely unknown to me. What and was that like for you? Was it, it was, pressure? Um, it wasn't necessarily pressure. I just didn't like it. I just okay. didn't like okay. the way people behaved I get it. that ha- that had money and just like the entitlement, the I get it. It's not, how it's, people were spoiled. It just wasn't how I was raised. And so it was, mm-hmm. I mean, now I can look back and just say, you know, now I would have handled it differently, but also it just, it made me feel very little mm-hmm. and belittled, you know, like I couldn't join a sorority because I didn't have the money. And, and if you're not at a sorority at USC, you know, you're kind of a nobody. It's that whole and, have and have nots. Yeah. It was just very yeah. apparent. And so I loved my education at USC, but my social, ex- my social environment for that four years, like just, I didn't really like it at all. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a interesting point for me. I made good friends, you know, I made a couple of really good friends who I'm still friends with. Um, But like I said, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't that like super fantastic college experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. So were you, were you anxious in college to, to begin life? Were you there? Because your surroundings were, it was education, of course, but socially it wasn't, you know, so were you ready to be on with like, let's get beyond college. Let's go. Into yeah, it. I was, I was kind of done with it. Like, you know, sophomore, junior year, I was like, let's just move on. And I think also, you know, I saw again, not necessarily what money could buy for other people, but the mm-hmm. opportunities that other people had. So like for their spring, their spring breaks, they were going to Cabo or the Cayman islands or to the Bahamas. And, you know, I was having to go to Disneyland to go to work. So yeah. Yeah. I just saw the opportunities that money and so I think, you know, I think early in my 20s, I was like, hey, let's go, let's go make some money, you know? And so um, I actually, my first job, um, I got, because I was recruited um, at a career fair on campus, you know, just during wow. lunch, and they were giving away free Snickers and free M&Ms at the career booth. And of course, as a starving college student, I'm like, yeah, hey, I want it. I want some Snickers. I would like <laughs> some M&Ms. And so I went to the career booth and ended up having a really powerful conversation with the recruiter. And what I loved about Mars, it it was family owned. It still is. Most of the people that, you know, have worked there, you know, come from blue collar families, come from humble upbringings. It felt very familiar. A a different mindset in those walls. It was very much in alignment with who I was, how I was brought up and the values. And, um, I ended up landing the job at Mars right out of college and I stayed there for 27 years. So, wow. yeah, 
Now, did they give you a great dental plan because of all the candy? (laughs) (laughs) Did they give you an extra dental plan or something? Wow, 27 years is a long time. You know, it's a long time. And tell me about that journey. So you, they literally recruit you as if you know, you know, like you're in a draft. So they they draft you right out of uh, college, and you start working in a a corporation of a size like Mars. What is that like for you? Yes. Well, it was funny. Um, At the time I got hired, they hired, I think, eight or nine hundred sales reps across the country and they were doing these mass hirings. And so I'll never forget going to my first meeting. And here I am, 21, have my first meeting. And there's a bunch of, you know, kids my age. Mm -hmm. I think there were 20 or 30 of us that were getting onboarded in at a hotel in Newport Beach and there's 30 station wagons out in the front. And so at 21, I'm driving like a Ford station wagon. It was a company <laughs> car and I was so excited because yes. I didn't have to pay for insurance. I didn't have to pay for a car payment. I was 21 so in a company car. Amazing. Yes. And I had insurance and Mars actually paid a little bit more than the other consulting job that I was looking at. And I was just super excited that I had landed this corporate job with this great company. And it was just interesting because I never thought really about the work I was doing. It was just more about the job. Like I got a job, you know? I got it. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what a, co- a lot of college students of do. Course. I mean, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have done it a little differently and I probably would have been more intentional. Mm-hmm. about, you know, the the role that I took and why I'm taking it and does it fit with really what I want. But it was a job. It was a good job. And it was a good You company. grew up there. You literally grew, grew up there. I did. I did. Incredible. Yeah. So I started out, um, I started out really just um, calling on grocery stores. So I had to move. They had my, vin- my territory was Ventura County. So they asked yeah. me to move from LA to Ventura County. I was like, Ventura where? Um, cause I had never been, I think past <laughs> Woodland Hills and on the, 101. So, on the 101. So my boss said, look, just take a drive up the 101. You're going to love it. So I settled down in Thousand Oaks. I had an apartment and called on grocery stores. I had like 200 grocery stores in all of Ventura County. So I would go and build candy displays and sell candy to the store managers uh, for wow. for extra promotions that, you know, if an ad was running on M&M's, I would sell extra product in and come back and build a display. And, and um, Can I ask Halloween- you a real question though? Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Do M&M's make friends? <laughs> remember that? You know what? Yeah, I do remember that. You know what's so funny is, you know, I've been very lucky to have worked for some companies that make people really happy. Yes. One one of my favorite jobs that I skipped over, but one of my favorite jobs in high school was delivering flowers. I oh, worked for a florist and I delivered flowers and like they would just make people so happy except for the one time that I delivered flowers from the guy who had wronged the girl and sent her flowers. And she's like, you can keep these and threw, <laughs> threw them on the lawn. So, wow. but other than that, but you know, I worked for Floris, I worked for Disney and you yeah. know, people are so happy. And then I worked, you know, for Mars and anytime I would say, Oh, I work for Mars. I sell Snickers and M&Ms. Like people are like, really? That's so yes. cool. You know, yummy. Yeah. And so it was, it was a, it was a fun job. I learned a lot. I'd get up at 5am 
to go build Halloween, those huge Halloween displays that you see mm-hmm. in grocery stores. The grocery store people don't build those, you know, the sales reps do. And so I would go and build those at five in the morning. And then, you know, I moved up and and around in my career throughout Mars. Mm-hmm. I had many different roles and made it through a lot of reorganizations in the company, kept moving up, but I definitely got to a level where I knew I could get promoted, but I was going to ha- be having to travel like 90% of the time. Yeah. And I made a choice at that point because I had had kids, you know, I got married and had kids. And so I made a point, you know, I made a decision to just not elevate anymore. Because, you know, my goal coming out of college was like, I want to be VP or I want to be president Absolutely. of Mars someday. And I think that was a really hard thing for me as a woman is to have that constant nagging inside of myself, like that constant push and pull of, I know that I can elevate in my career. I know that I can go to the next level. I know that I'm capable. And to see other people that maybe weren't as capable Mm -hmm. or talented getting promoted, but knowing that I was the person holding myself back because I didn't want to sacrifice my family. And it's the worst. Which, is, the, which is, is beautiful. You know, you, you had children. You had two little girls, right? Yeah. And it's it's great now looking back. Like, I'm glad I made the right decision. But it's why I do the work I do with women now is to get really clear on that. Because I think for me, it would have alleviated this tug and this tug of war I had internally if I would have just been very conscious about the decision I made. Right? I just... I did it kind of subconsciously. I made those mm-hmm. those decisions, but I didn't. But really let's say, talk like, about the conscious decision. Let's talk about that. So you're there 27 years. You're making people happy. Then you get to obvious the crossroads of where you're building and and, and loving on your family and um, yeah. routines obviously change. Priorities shift. When do you get from okay? I'm not going to do this because I am going to be here for my family. But what? When do you get to where you are now? What? What led you to that point where you said, I have to do this? Or when does it change? When did you get there? How did that happen? So I I had been bored. I mean, I'm, you know, like it was an easy job for a long time. And I loved my customers. I loved the people I worked with. But I mean, I it never lit that fire in my belly. I never woke up in the morning saying, like, wow, I'm making an impact on the world. Right. I I mean, I was making an impact. I knew because my job allowed me the flexibility to work remote. I've never worked in an office my entire life. I've always worked remote. I've always worked at home. And so it allowed me the opportunity to be here basically and see my kids grow up. And so that I knew was the impact I was making as a mom was the most important impact I wanted to make. But I wasn't making my impact at work. And I had a pivotal conversation with an executive coach um, who was coaching at Mars, who I was, I was just, my husband asked me when I was 47, he asked me this pivotal question that changed everything for me. He said, what are you going to do when you retire? You know, you're getting close to potentially retiring. And I think I had had my nose to the grindstone for so long, for so many years, since I was 13, quite frankly, of like, just got to get the bills paid, got to get to the next level, got to get to the next job, got to just get the next, got to buy the house, right? Got to buy the house, got to then got to have the kids. And I really had never thought about what I really wanted 
throughout that entire time. I just kept going because it was just what I did. My ex-husband had, you know, a very up and down business. He was in real estate. So there were some years it was great. There were some years we were living off my paycheck. And so, you know, his, his business was so cyclical that my my income was our our steady eddy, right? And so, so it sounds I, like to some degree you're not intentionally, but between that blend of professional and home, somehow you're getting lost in there too. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Right? And I mean, yeah, I mean, we could do a whole other podcast about how I got lost in my marriage too. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was very, yes, absolutely. Because my ex-husband's, because he had the opportunity to make more money, the emphasis was definitely on his career versus mine. And um, so I was the one that predominantly took care of the kids and the household responsibilities. And I think there was an expectation because I was home working that all of that was on me. And it was a lot. And it was definitely, definitely the the highlight was on him versus my career. And I did get lost in the mix. I felt like I lost my way for sure um, when the kids were younger. Yeah. I, I don't know if the listeners know this, but obviously I think they listen to the Second episode, you and I have known each other for years. We, yeah. our children, you know, our daughters went to school together. And I could say personally, I remember you always being such a very sweet woman. You know, I was, would see you when you drop off the kids and so on and so forth. And we had a couple of conversations, but just in the last couple of years, I would see you and I would just know something was going on with you, something brilliant because I was like, Gosh, I knew that's her. Something's going on there. She looks different. She, she, her eyes are brighter. She, it was, I saw it. I told you, I had to tell you. I see something going on. And I was right. You reached out to me and we had a conversation about it. Yeah. And I think, I think for a, a long time, I was just kind of going along with life, being a mom. And that was my primary focus and doing my job. But to your point, I wasn't ever really lit up. I wasn't lit up. I didn't have that fire in my belly. I didn't have that. I was just very, my light was dim. Mm-hmm. My light was dim. And, you know, I, I, I just got to a point where I was doing some personal work on myself. I was in therapy and I got to a point where I decided that this just, dim kind of status quo wasn't good enough for me anymore. No, you didn't deserve it. You deserve more. Yeah. And I think I finally got to a point in my life where I, I believed that, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a big change for me is I didn't, I didn't believe that before. And I finally got to a point where in my life where I did believe that. And once I started believing that and it changed everything. And I'm going to go out on a limb here because I'm no, just going to hear it. I, I'm just going to do it. You know, the one thing that changed my life is um, actually my ex-husband's cousin asked me, she's like, Hey, do you want to go to this workout class with me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I love different kinds of workout, like Pilates and kickboxing yeah. and this and that. She's like, okay, meet me on Tuesday at this place, you know, wear some workout clothes and, you know, we'll go from there. And I was like, okay, cool. So I met where I was supposed to meet her. And it turns out it was a, it was a pole dancing class. And 
that class, it was Sheila Kelly's S Factor, and she she was on Oprah several times. Um, she's all about female empowerment. So it wasn't to, you know, I wasn't doing pole dancing to go to learn how to be wow. a stripper. There were no mirrors. The beautiful thing about this class was there were no mirrors in the in the room at all. It was a very intimate space for women to come and to exercise and to, you know, learn to really love your body. And through that process, every woman I know that was in that process completely left a different woman. And I did that for 10 years. And in the beginning of that, it was even hard for me as a mom to just, it was a, by the time I drove to where the class was and got home, it was like three hours. It was hard for me as a mom to just say, look, on Monday nights, I need three hours to myself. Like that was a huge step for me as a mom. And even that was a big hurdle. And then it just got to the point where the kids knew like mom's going to dance class on Monday nights. And I, like I said, I did it for 10 years and it completely changed my life in so many ways because that class was transformational and helping me really unleash my true self and my true womanhood. I, I, I that's it's what I saw. Like I, I told you, I, I remember seeing it. I remember the person you were, because I don't know that person. I'm not looking at her now. She doesn't have that look. This person I'm looking at is bright and smiley and, and just, you could see it. And it was real. It was because I had seen you in this form, this cookie cutter form. <laughs> you were always polite and sweet, but I didn't see you. And I'm looking at you and you get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I see you. Yeah. And then you saw me see well, I was gonna you. Say, I was just, yes, exactly. Well, and I feel like we both went through the same transformation. Absolutely, we did at this at, at around the same time. Same time, interesting. Very yeah. close. And so it was. I should really... have taken that 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 pole. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I had a lot of guy friends. Like, hey, is that, is that open to guys? Yeah, no, 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 it's not. But, you know, it's funny, you know, people can have their different opinions of, you know, what that's about and and whether there's shame involved in that. And I was really shy about telling people about that when I first started doing it. And then I told everyone about it because the change I went through and the change I saw with other women going through was just such a powerful part of my journey. And like I said, I started believing in myself. I started believing in who I was as a woman. And I realized that no longer just so-so was okay. And so I asked for- Absolutely not. And so I asked for a divorce and that was a big change for me. I felt really guilty about it for a long time because I felt like I was breaking up my family and family is literally my number one core value. With you there. And I felt guilty about it because I felt everyone was like, well, why are you doing that? Because you have a good husband. He's nice. You know, he's supportive. He He's a good provider. And I'm like- we were great. We had a lot of things in common. We were super active together, but I didn't feel madly crazy in love with him. He was and, like a and, great. And can I, can a, I just cut you off real yeah, quick? Because I think yeah. I, I think you and I really are um, we're really really close on this. Because I would say, uh, and I never, you know, this I'm on a podcast. I never publicly talk about my situation. I'm also divorced, and. I can honestly say, and, and I think this is, I mean, as much as it might, there's always another party involved as the partner, but 
my divorce wasn't even about her. It was about me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, it's, I, I it's, can, yeah. it's about, it's, it, it, yeah, we have partners, but it's really about us. Mm-hmm. Right? I, yeah. I can't, I can't really paint. I could, yeah, she did this. But the reality is, even if she did, it was me. I was in the way of truth, yeah. you know? And look at you. You were in the way of your truth. And now you've realized it and look at you. Yeah. And we guilt ourselves for all the wrong we society, culture, all that bullshit. Forgive my language, but all of that. Okay, so I do what's right, but not truthful? Exactly. That doesn't make any exactly. sense. It makes no sense. I could do right all day. Well, it's right. Yeah, but that's not truthful all the time. Yeah. Right? And going back, you know, going back to... Sorry. No, but just going back to my childhood about being the good girl. Like, I wasn't being the good girl by asking for a divorce. And... But I love what you say oh. about I can do the right thing or I can do what's truthful. And what was true to me... And like you said, it was really about me. And I think I felt like that was mm-hmm. probably the most selfish decision I was making was that I was making a decision to basically blow up my family because for myself, because I wasn't giddy and passionately in love with my husband. And, um, you know, my ex and I did, I think, a great job of, you know, collaborative parenting. And we did holidays together for a while and we did... Sunday night dinners. And I mean, I think, and the kids are so happy now. I mean, they say, look, I'm so happy that you guys are divorced because dad's happier, you're happier. And I mean, it's just, that was, that was a huge pivotal change and a transformation in my life. That really kind of was the impetus to where I'm at now. Yeah. And, and, you know, tell us what you, I mean, we obviously know 52 weeks, you know, that's success. I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. I remember when we spoke about it and you were so empowered and, and passionate about this. And it wasn't about, uh, it was about everyone else. It was about what you can do for others. And I could only applaud that and only say, go and do that. That's where you're going to be brilliant. That's where you're going to shine the most. That's when we're all going to look and go, yeah, that's it. That's what she's living her truth. Yeah. You know, and here you are 52, 52 weeks later. Tell us what that's like looking back at that first episode and what you, was the unknown you were coming into, right? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll back up just a little bit okay. because, you know, my journey into entrepreneurship has been an interesting one because, you know, I stayed at, there were a couple of times I almost left Mars. We were having reorganizations. I wasn't sure if I was going to get a job. So I started looking elsewhere, but I always just kept my head in because I was too scared to leave because that financial security, because of how I grew up. And, um, I never in a million years thought about being an entrepreneur because of what I, I because yeah, because of what I saw with my dad, my dad was not a great entrepreneur. Our family suffered because he chose to leave a corporate job and take on entrepreneurship. And I never wanted that to be the case. And so the corporate job was safe, just like my ex marriage was safe and just, it was secure But what I realized, and like I said, I got to this awareness that safe and secure is living a life out of fear. Survival. And that isn't good enough anymore. 
And I knew that I was going to go to my deathbed with regrets if I didn't try. And I don't care if I tried and failed, but I had to try. I knew that there was something more and something different for me. So like I said, I had this pivotal conversation with with an executive coach who was coaching at Mars. And I had, when my husband asked me the question about what do you want to do when you retire, I was actually wanting to be a therapist. I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to impact people. I've always wanted, at one point, I wanted to be a social worker. At one point, I actually looked in being an elementary school teacher. I always have had a heart to serve. Yes. But like I said, I stayed at Mars because for the security and just, you know, it was comfortable. And she said, look, you know, I know you're looking at being a therapist because she was a therapist who had left her practice to become an executive coach. And I was actually purposely having the conversation because I was interested in becoming a therapist. And she said, look, after this conversation, I just have to tell you, as a coach, I don't really guide people on what to do. I ask them questions and help them understand what they come to their own conclusions. But I have to tell you, I think you'd be a great coach. I don't think you'd be as happy or fulfilled in the therapy realm. And two weeks later, I signed up for coaching certification. And it was a year-long program. And it was actually a gift for my husband. So. You know, I remarried. Um, I forgot to mention that part, but I remarried to my soulmate, the love of my life. I you could see got it. Everything, everything that I was hoping to have in a marriage, like times a thousand. I just I wake up it. giddy. I wake up giddy every single day and just madly in love with this man. And you know, as the years go by, we've been married six years now. As the years go by, I'm just more and more and more in love with him. And he gifted me the, t- you know, my tuition to go to coaching school. And he's like, this is my gift for you because I know this is going to be your legacy. And the t- day one, weekend one of the coaching school, I knew I had found my people. I knew I had finally found my passion. I knew I was exactly in the right place. And I've never looked back. So I started coaching people right away like in the middle of my program before I was even certified. Um, you know, they said, if you guys want to start coaching, you can. And not a lot of other people in my class did, but I did. I started taking on private clients and I did it as a side hustle for a couple of years. I built, you know, just built up. I was seeing people at night. I was seeing people on the weekends. And the thing was, is I couldn't wait to finish my day job till I could get to coaching because I saw the changes that coaching was enabling for other people. I saw the impact I was making through conversation. And it was just so, so powerful. And so- You want to hear something wickedly December- beautiful too? You, yeah. You're changing from it as well. Absolutely. You're changing from I, it. I learned so much Absolutely. from my clients. So it's a win-win. You're, you're evolving up and they're evolving up. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so- Last year in December, um, Mars and I had a, a mismatch of minds and I decided it was my time to leave. And so I jumped off the corporate cliff and it was scary as hell. Well, when was that officially? What had, was the date of that? When did you leave? December 18th of 2019. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a little bit over, you know, it's been a little over a year and it was the scary. It was super scary. It was, I mean, jumping off that corporate cliff after 27 years, um, you know, I started my podcast in February and um, it's been, it's been a wild ride of a year, you know, from 
a total mindset perspective of like, oh my God, what am I doing? There's been so much to learn. I will tell you, I've learned more in a year working for myself than I did in the last, you know, 15 years at Mars. Um, it's just, it's grown me. It's stretched me. It's challenged me. So who's me. living now, Natalie? Who's really living? Oh my Vividly, God. Vividly yes. present in the hustle, <laughs> working it out, making sure that, what, what did you do 27 years before that? You walked around like a zombie, right? Exactly. Just in a trance. Exactly. Routine, right? I'm not saying it's degraded. I, I did it. We all did it. You know, some of us don't wake up, you know, but reality is you weren't living in your life. You were going through the motions. You were existing. Yeah. So no matter what the struggle, the pull is, whatever you want to call success, it's all those things. It's the highs. It's the lows. You're living vividly in it. You're aware of it all. You're all right there for it. And that's what I see on your face. Like I yeah. see growth. I see. Okay. Yeah. I see it. Oh, I'm I'm lit up every day. And like I said, it was hard because then the pandemic hit. And, you know, my my clients were, you know, I'm, I, I'm an executive coach. My clients are in corporations and corporations were trying to keep their doors open. They weren't worried about hiring executive coaches and putting money into training and development. So um, I met my coaching partner back in November of 2019 at a at a International Coaching Federation meeting, and her and I became accountability partners, um, friends. Her name's Lori Tab, and we Not became Lori. Yes, and um, we became friends and accountability partners. And so every Monday we had a Monday morning meeting, and we started talking about things that we were seeing because of you know our private clients because of COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID became a powerful pause for people, especially women. They were now home with their families. They may, maybe they weren't having to commute three hours, you know, an hour and a half one one way to work, and they were enjoying more work life balance mm -hmm. in some ways. In other ways, it has been hard, and I really want to acknowledge that because moms have had the extra burden of taking care of making sure the kids are in front of their Zoom calls uh -huh. and becoming, you know, they've become teachers in the last year. So, but. I think so many women and then also women who had long careers like mine were getting furloughed and um, laid off. And all of a sudden they were questioning their identity and what do I do next? And I wasn't expecting this. And they were all needing community. And so Lori and I were talking about this and we said, you know what, why don't we build a group coaching program for women? And so we built Women Leading Powerfully, the Leadership Lab. It's a 12-week group coaching program for women. We built it the first time. We built it, sold it, and started it within five weeks. Now, is this online? Is this a how? How does this? Yeah, work? it's on. It's on. No, thanks for asking. It's online. It's virtual. Oh, um, we did it. We did it virtual because of COVID. But I think from now on, we'll continue it virtual mm -hmm. because it allows us to have women from all over the United States. Um, we actually have a woman from Costa Rica in this group. Amazing and. It allows women to connect, you know, and not have to be in their car and driving through LA traffic to get somewhere physical. And um, it's been amazing. So we started our first um, cohort started in June. It's for it's an intimate space for 12 to 15 women. We started our first cohort in June. We launched our next one in July. We launched our next one in October. And then we just launched our fourth group coaching program um this last monday so on congratulations amazing amazing and you're seeing it firsthand the transformations oh it's been it's it's been amazing like i wish 
my goal is I really wish every woman could go through this program. It's what, quite frankly, it's what I needed Mm -hmm. in my career when I was 30 or 35. I mean, it's, it's that, it's that push. It's that supportive place to learn and grow and explore and experiment and to get some tools to really um, help yourself get to the next level in your career or in your life and, and really find what's important to you mm-hmm. and making sure that you're living in alignment with that. And we give you the tools to figure out how to do that. So, so, so now, where is, where was this person when our children went to school? You and I would never, <laughs> we would have dropped the girls off at school and went and had coffee for the day. For the day. Forget an hour. We'd be talking all day. Where was this person? This it's phenomenal what is happening with you and what you're creating, Natalie. You're 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 creating this. Thank you. That's that's affirmation. I just go back to what you're saying is I really feel every day. I mean, I'm definitely I've definitely worked harder this last year than I've worked in a long time in my career. And I was always a hard worker. But I mean, in terms of the hours I've put in and just the work and the learning and the growth that I've had to personally do this last year. And it just every day I get up and I can't wait for my feet to hit the floor Mr. to do Girl. the work that I'm doing. And it's what you I go back to what you said. It's like I feel like I'm living my truth. Yeah, you are. I'm living my truth. And my truth for me is around serving and having an impact on others. And it's why I looked at those other jobs of being a social worker, mm-hmm. being a teacher, you know, being a therapist. I mean, th- that was always part of who I am is to really help others. And I love it. it. It, I am so filled up at the end of the day. You know, most people would be exhausted from being on Zoom calls all day. And I'm just jazzed at the end of the day. Well, I, I, I feel so privileged and lucky that I get to do the work that I do. Yeah, and you're obviously the the women that you're helping. Um, I, I I think I think this is I think you're gonna blow up. I think this is gonna now you doing Zoom face to face like this too. Uh huh. Oh, it's yeah, gotta be co- awesome. It's gotta it's be awesome. It's great. I co I coach people all over the country, and I actually had you know international clients, and it it's. It's great because you can basically sit with someone and in, in a different state or a different country and still have that connection. And let me ask you a question about your clients and the people you're helping. Yeah. What do you find, especially being in your position, what do most women struggle with? Like, what do you mm. see commonly that you go, oh, okay? Um, is it something they're putting on themselves? Like, answer it. I'm not going to even answer it. For you. What do you find is is common? Uh, an issue or what holds these women back? Yeah, I would say women not feeling like they're enough. Women really not valuing the the value that they bring to work, to their relationships. And, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of research and actually because, you know, it's also my story too. Mm. And, you know, it's how we're socialized. So much of it is how we're socialized and how we're brought up of be the good girl, be quiet, you know, stay in your lane. You know, men are taught to like go out and be brutal on the soccer field or the football field and and then go have a beer afterwards. And like, we're just not raised that way. 
And so I think a lot of women have trouble with conflict at work. They shy away from it instead of leaning into it um, with curiosity. But I really see women just holding themselves back when they're so smart, they're so intelligent, they're so capable, and they have so much to offer, but they doubt themselves. Play it small, they, right? They play, they, yeah, and, and it's in their minds. They know that they can play bigger, but externally, they're still playing small. It's that it's that hesitation in a meeting when they're asked their opinion, and then the guy next to them raises their hand and says exactly what they were going to say, and that guy gets the credit yeah, for it. They were, they were it's, too late. it's right. It's that it's that slight hesitation of self doubt, that lack of confidence. You know that really holds women back, and and most of that work is internal. Mm-hmm. I there, agree. And I'm not. I, and I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to minimize at all that there are structural issues in our society with women elevating Agreed. into leadership. I'm not, especially women of color. Any any like BIPOC, you know, absolutely. There's structural issues, and I'm not minimizing that at all. I'm just saying, generally speaking. Outside of that, women do hold themselves back. Women don't negotiate for themselves strong enough. 88% of women don't ever negotiate a promotion or a or a raise for themselves or a job offer. They just accept what's given to them. Men don't do that. Men look at it as an invitation to negotiate. Yeah, so true. And mindset. so women, right. So it's all mindset. Like women feel thankful to get the job instead of saying, well, what else can I get? It feels selfish. It feels too big. It, and I think women are, I think women struggle with their power. Wow. And yeah. women are so powerful. Yes. They just need to own it. Own it. When a woman walks into a room and owns her power, there's nothing like it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely and not. And so, that is my goal. My goal, my personal goal is over the next 10 years to impact a million women. And I'll tell you how. Yes. Not only by having women go through our group coaching program, coaching women um, one-on-one or doing coaching in organizations, doing team coaching. But I know that when I coach one woman to make a difference, she makes a difference for others. So that one woman has a ripple effect and she starts her business or she elevates her business. She's able to hire more women. She's able to make a more impact in her community. Because of that, there's that further ripple effect in her well, absolutely. community. Absolutely. I was, I was just going to say that women walk away with this from this. Yeah, they have the tools to be you know, their best person in their professional arena. But I can't imagine them this not walking away from this and this informing their entire life. How they are with their yeah, husband, I, or boyfriend, or children. Even it's got to absolutely because I know I know that ninety nine percent of women, when they accumulate wealth, they use that wealth for impact. They're either giving it away to charities, they're making an impact right by away. hiring and doing other things for their company, or making their teams better or bigger, or making a difference from a social conscious perspective, or you know. And that's that's my goal. My goal is to impact a million women. You will. Next Ten years. You will. And we're gonna and we're gonna be watching carefully, <laughs> carefully. 
Oh, Patrick. Yeah, this was so much fun. I really And I, I learned a lot from you. you. I, I learned um, a lot. I, I really did. I'm going to say something to you off camera and in microphone because it's a little blue, but it's funny. You'll laugh. But sitting with you, like like I said, I, I felt connected to you. Um, I, I've known you for years, but I think it's because of uh, in the same time, six years, you and I came to this awareness of ourselves. And mm. oddly, when we were doing it, we kind of turned around and looked at each other and went, you too? <laughs> I just exactly. got the chills saying, <laughs> "No, I know you too." Oh my goodness, let's go talk about it. We un- and we did such an understanding, <laughs> um, and there was no judgment. It was safe, um, and I, I'm I'm in your corner forever now. You stuck with me. Like I'm going to watch this go. I'm going to watch you blow up. I'm so excited for you, and I can't wait to someday maybe meet your clients and. Maybe be invited to a Zoom meet just to come in and say hello. <laughs> I love it. I love it, it. Yeah. You know, Patrick, it's been a, uh, you know, I, it's it's been amazing to have you in my corner and to have you as a friend. And, you know, I really do consider you my brother. And so yeah. I've just really like my soul brother. And I'm just so, so happy that, you, you know, you were here today and we got to do this together because it's just um, I'm really grateful for I'm really grateful for every day and I'm grateful for you and I really appreciate you being here. No, no, it's easy. I, I wouldn't miss it when you asked and you called. I was so excited. And, you know, our distance now, you know, I'm, I'm way over here, but we now have this technology, which is great. But I can't wait until I can see you again and give you a deep hug. We'll go to lunch. We'll catch up. I can see your hubby. You can see Nicole. Like, it, I, I just, I, I can't wait. And I'm really, I'm sincerely proud of you i'm excited for you um i know what you have i'm looking at it like I, i've known for a minute like she's ready to she's ready to be what she's supposed to thank you my friend we're doing yeah. big things together so yes lady yes lady anytime you need me to host uh, i'm here thanks patrick i I'm appreciate here. it all right thank take you, care lady. bye all right bye-bye Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.